Okay, if you've got a Bible, grab it. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you, as you get your Bibles out, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you signed a card for the Bronsons, and I want to give that to Andrew now. It's a, it's got a gift from us to him and to Becky and to Ryder. And so just our way of saying, we love you, brother, and um, thanks for being here with us. Let's stand together and let's read God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. This is the word of the Lord. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. morning. Hear me okay? Uh, let me just say first, um, thanks so much for, for having me. I'm so sorry that my wife Becky couldn't be here. Uh, we've been on the road for a couple weeks, but and it's been uh, a little wild, uh, so we appreciate your prayers. We're ho- home in the States for a couple months. We re- returned to Bangkok, Thailand, January 6th. Uh, we are super grateful to be growing in partnership with Trinity. So thank you, Blake and Andy and the committee, and thank all of you. We thank the Lord for you guys. We're really excited about getting to know your church well and also sharing with you uh, a bit about what God is doing clear on the other side of the world. That's a huge blessing to our our hearts. Um, So we thank you. Even though our relationship is new, we feel a lot of love from you, uh, and your church has been like a breath of fresh air. So so we thank you, um, and we thank the Lord for you. Uh, let me pray before we begin. I'm going to pray a few lines in Thai. That's what we speak in, in Thailand to give you a feel for what that sounds like. Um, and then I'll pray in English too, okay? Let's pray together before we begin. Mm-hmm. 
บิดดาจิตใจของพวกเราที่จะเข้าใจโปรดนะของพระองค์ในการวันนี้ Father we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to come and for our hearts to be united together and to worship you and we pray you would send your spirit to open our our eyes and our hearts to know the mystery of the gospel more and more and to be passionate about it so give us clarity and understanding we pray in Christ's strong name amen I have a friend in Thailand I'll, I'll call him Chai that's not his real name but that's a common Thai name and If he tells you his life story, it's like something that you would uh, read in a book or see in a movie. He grew up. He was born and raised in Bangkok for about 10 years, and his earliest memories of life are abuse of his parents, an absent father. Uh, he had an older sister, and his his parents told him that she was the loved child, and he was the one that wasn't wanted. Uh, that's how he talks about his first 10 years. When he was 10, his parents had been divorced by now. He has a new stepfather who's even worse than his his real father. They move the family to the Los Angeles area, and he tells stories of his teen years where his his stepfather would, who was an alcoholic, would uh, abuse him. And when he would do something wrong, he would take him and tie him up physically, tie him up to a chair and put him in the garage and leave him there for hours. Only took a couple of years. His stepfather took off from the family. It was just him and his mother and his sister. And Chai got involved with the street gangs of Southern Los Angeles. He joined one gang in particular that called itself Asian Pride, and he tells stories from his teenage years. And it's a miracle that he's still alive. He tells stories of literally hearing bullets go past his ear in fights with other gangs. He was in and out of drug addiction and rehab, uh, long stints of running away from his mother and sleeping on the streets, and. When he was about mid 20s, early to mid 20s, he found himself in prison. It wasn't the first time he had been arrested and in prison, um, but this time, there by himself, at the lowest of lows, uh, the Lord started to speak to him in his heart, and he began a journey there in prison as a 20-something-year-old <coughs> of learning actually who he really was. There, in his utter weakness and his utter helplessness, because he had faced a lot of difficulties in life, and in facing those difficulties, he tried so hard to be as strong as he could. He tried so hard to be tough and so hard to be able, but there in prison, he started to learn. The truth was that actually he was very weak and very unable. He began there in prison uh, in his mid. Early 20s, a long journey, we can say, towards knowing who he really was in his weakness, and therefore knowing who God really was in his strength. Today, if we fast forward, Chai lives in Bangkok, and he's a passionate follower of Jesus. He's a member of our church in the city. I want us to consider this morning that it's when we, as human beings, Actually, come to grips with the reality of our weakness, that we then know the strength of God. Because in God's sovereignty, in this crazy plan of redemption that God has for us and for the world and for nations that are clear on the other side of the globe, there's this mysterious principle at work in God's plan 
And it's the principle that the weak things of the world, they actually shame the strong things, don't they? The humble things and the lowly things, they actually bring down the high and the mighty and the lofty and the proud things. And so it's actually when we, like the Apostle Paul, and like my friend Chai, when we recognize and even begin to embrace our weaknesses, and there in our weaknesses we meet Jesus, that then we are actually strong. And then I think more and more we will actually be swept up in and enamored by the mission that God is doing to bring the nations to know and to worship himself. The more we know and embrace our weakness, the more we will know the strength of our God, the more we will actually be strong. This is what we see in Paul's life uh, because this is the pattern, I think, the very heart of the gospel itself. And so the question for us this morning is, do we see this pattern in our own lives? Strength in our weakness. And I want to I look at this really by simply asking the question, well, what does Paul really mean? What does it really mean to be strong in our weakness? And we can look at it in two ways. First, we'll look at it on the inside, on the theological side. What's the foundation of that principle? And then on the outside, very practically, what does that mean day to day? Okay? First, some quick context on this passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul, the Apostle Paul, you're familiar with him. He planted a lot of churches in the ancient world. He goes to the city of Corinth. The year is about 50 A.D. or 52 A.D. He spends a year and a half there. He works with a couple other guys, a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, if you remember them from the stories in Acts. They spend a year and a half planting the church there, and then they leave. And then Paul will make a couple visits over the years back to the church in Corinth. He'll write letters uh, back to the church in Corinth. His relationship with the Corinthian church was actually not a bright, rosy, friendly relationship always. It was a very difficult one that caused Paul a lot of pain over these years. In the Corinthian culture of the time, and in the culture of ancient Greece, there was this idol of wisdom and power. If you wanted to be anyone in society, you had to be able to display that you were a powerful person, that you were a wise person. And often you had to be able to do that eloquently and with charisma, you know, among the culture, among the society. One writer, he describes the culture saying, it's a place where the powerful people scorned the weakness of ordinary people. If you weren't wise and powerful, you were just an ordinary person, and ordinary was weak. So there's good evidence that this cultural crave for wisdom and power had crept into the church, and Paul begins to challenge that. He begins to challenge the leaders who were teaching that and living that. And they look at Paul and they say, look at your life. It's utter weakness. In fact, why should we even listen to you at all? And so much of 2 Corinthians is actually Paul defending his status as an apostle. You know, I have the right to be saying what I'm saying. This is where things get interesting, I think. If you can imagine uh, an expert in any field, okay, imagine an expert in any field. We could take, for instance, uh, Bob Stoops. Everyone knows Bob Stoops. He's an expert in his field, whether you love him or hate him. Imagine if someone came to Bob Stoops and they challenged and they attacked his credentials, his status, his identity as a football coach. 
I, and by the way, I really miss college football living in, in Bangkok. What would, what would Bob Stoops say? He would say, uh, hello, national championships. Look at my record. Look at my tenure. Look at the players I've recruited and groomed, Heisman Trophy winners, et cetera, et cetera. He wouldn't say, well, look at, you're right, look at our losses. Look at the, the, the behind-the-scenes uh, arguments I have with the athletic director. Look at, you know, all of the hardships our team has been through. He wouldn't do that, right? No expert would. But if we look at Paul, it's interesting. He's being, his status as an apostle is being attacked, which really means his message, the gospel itself, is being attacked. And look how he responds. He doesn't give in to the temptation of talking about his skills and his strengths. Instead, he talks about his hardships and weaknesses. He begins this passage talking about this man who has this vision. Almost all the biblical scholars say that that man is Paul. He's not overtly calling himself uh, this man because that would be a very enviable thing to be proud about and to boast about. He says, oh, I know this man who had these visions. Basically, he's saying, look, if you want to boast on human terms, I could do that. And if you look in verse 6, he says that very thing. If I should wish to boast... Uh, in verse 6, yeah, if I wish to boast, I wouldn't be a fool. I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. Instead, Paul focuses on his weaknesses and his sufferings. And in verse 7, it culminates with this thorn, this debilitating, this one weakness that's, that's more powerful than all of his other weaknesses that is causing Paul a lot of pain. Why does Paul focus on those things? I think it's because he knows the danger of the idols that have kept crept into the Corinthian church. Success in life for the Corinthian church and success in life for us, it doesn't come from wisdom and power and what the world deems as strength. No, in Christ, when Paul is utterly weak, then he is truly strong. So what does he mean here? First, on the inside, we'll look at this briefly from the inside. Theologically, what's the foundation for this? If you look at this passage, there's two quick words that Paul says at the beginning. If we read it too fast, we'll miss them. In verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ, and so on and so on. It's very important for Paul to include that little phrase, in Christ. If you've read some of his letters, you know that he uses this phrase all the time. It's, very, uh, it's a key to understanding his theology. And it gets at this concept that in the seminaries they call union with Christ. Really, that is a mystery, what union with Christ is. But Paul would explain it. It's this mystical union that true believers in Jesus have with God through the person and work of, of Jesus. It's really beyond our comprehension, but our Christian lives, we grow by chipping away at understanding what it means to be really united with Christ when we believe in him. Here's a couple other verses in the, in the New Testament that Paul uses this phrase. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Galatians 3, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. There's many more like this. The doctrine of being in Christ is fundamental. I think it bears on all the other Christian doctrines. 
we could say we're saved in Christ. We grow in Christ. We have union with one, unity with one another because of our union with Christ. And so, in one way, I think this is what the whole of the Christian life is about. Be it for the first time or the one millionth time, growing up to understand this close union that we have with Jesus Christ. This mysterious, mystical union that we have with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Whereas we grow to love him more, we grow more intimate with him, to walk with him through our difficulties. We become more and more dependent on him as we see ourselves for who we really are as weak people. The nation of Thailand, as I mentioned, is 70 million people. The city we live in, about 12 million people or so. There's a, there's a central subway station in Bangkok. If you go there at rush hour and you stand right in the middle of that, the main platform, uh, probably within 30 or 45 minutes, tens of thousands of people would brush by you. It would, it's quite a, a scene. And if you were to take a sample size of 100 of those people, take them to the side, and talk to them about Jesus and God, 99 out of that, those 100 would just utterly reject. Uh, they have no idea what it means to know God. 99 out of 100. In fact, 60 out of those 100 have really never heard the gospel at all. If they, if they know the word Christian, or if they know the name Jesus, then they think white people from Western nations who speak English. That's what they think of Christianity. Thailand is called the most thoroughly Buddhist nation in the world. The Buddha was, was a real man. He lived like 500 years before Jesus. And sometimes when I'm talking to my Thai friends, I, I say to them, oh, I agree with the Buddha. Just like that to kind of see how they react, you know. And, and because one thing that the Buddha taught was that the world is a, <laughs> is a really messed up place. Our lives are really messed up. The Buddha recognized that. In his teachings, he included this, we need to understand the brokenness of who we are, the suffering that we experience in the world. Hey, we can get behind that, right? We see that. We see that in our communities. We see that in our own lives. So I can agree with the Buddha on that, but the problem arises, however, in how we liberate from that suffering. See, the Buddha taught that there was no God. He wasn't a God. He wasn't a Savior but that every man and every woman within their own strength had the capacity to save, the capacity to liberate themselves. But the Christian gospel begins with a much more, I think, a much more realistic view of who we are as humans, right? A view of ourselves that's honest about our weakness, so much so that we need, desperately, we need liberation. We need another's strength. We need to be in Christ. Why is this the pattern? Strength um, only out of our weakness. I think it's the pattern because uh, it's the pattern of the gospel and Jesus Christ himself, right? The beauty of the gospel is that the strength of God in Christ, it comes to us in sort of this veil of weakness. You know, a veil is something that hides something else, this, the true identity or the true reality. Christ experienced, he lived out for us what it truly means to take on weakness in order that the power of God might then be made manifest in life, in our lives, in the whole world. How did God exhibit this kind of strength in this veil of weakness? 
Well, one way he did it is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? This season. The breaking in of God Almighty, the creator of the world, into our human realm as this tiny infant baby boy. That's marvelous. Philippians 2, Paul writes, Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, and he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. I, I've just, in one morning visit to Trinity, I see a lot of little kids running around. Uh, if you're a parent, you know when they're first born, how helpless are they? I mean, they're utterly, utterly helpless, right? There's not much that's more helpless than, than an infant baby, you know? Isn't it a wonder that the God who created the world decided to break into our human realm as a tiny, helpless baby? Jesus grows up in his life, we know, it culminates in sort of the epitome of what we would call weakness on a human level. De- his death by execution, by crucifixion. The verses in Philippians 2 continue, being found in human form, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' life, birth, death, they pattern weakness. But more than just pattern it, Paul says that we are in him. Somehow his weaknesses have become our weaknesses. It's not just a pattern that we follow. The whole point that Paul is making in here in these verses is that in his weakness, he knows the true strength of God because God actually isn't weak, right? I mean, it's a veil of weakness. The mystery and the wonder of Christmas is that the, the tiny infant that we marvel at and we look at in our, uh, what do you call those things? In the um, little nativity scenes, <laughs> Um, I'd lose my English, you know, after a while living over there. The marvel of, of Christmas is that the tiny baby who, Jesus, who's born, and we look at him in the nativity scene, he's, he's born in lowly conditions on the other side of the world, this tiny infant at his mother's breast. And Hebrews 1 says that this child upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1 says He was before all things. In him all things are created. He's reconciling all things to himself. This tiny infant. That's not weakness, (laughs) right? Similarly, as a man, Jesus, he's arrested, accused, beaten. He stands before his captors and he says nothing. He appears very weak to them. So they hang him on a cross. They jeer at him hey if you're really who you say you are which is strong then come down and he says nothing and he dies and the veil of the weakness of god it covers the whole land in darkness but god is not weak and we know the story of the strength of god right in a few days from, from his death, Jesus rises again to conquer sin and death, the strength of God more powerful than death itself. Paul says when we believe in him, we, he's more than a pattern for us. He is our lives. We are united to him. Mysteriously, in Romans 6, he says we are united to him in his death and we are united to him in his resurrection. And that's the pattern for our lives. Weakness so that we might know the strength of God. 
That's the theological foundation. Let's quickly turn and consider this practically, okay? What does it really mean for Paul day in and day out? What does it really mean for us? For one thing, I think it means that the values that Paul lived by looked a lot different than the values of ancient Corinth, right? Paul didn't seek after power and wisdom and strength as the world defines those things. That's obvious to us, right? Uh, Rather, Paul associated with the values of Jesus and the kingdom values that Jesus brought into the world. One writer uh, describes Jesus' kingdom values this way, and I think it's, this is a beautiful quote. He says this, The kingdom of Jesus is a new human order in which power, money, recognition, and success, they are reordered. It's not that these things no longer matter, but they, they become transposed by the unleashing of Christ's new creation, by service, by generosity, by humility. So Jesus' kingship is not like human kingships, for it wins influence through suffering service, not coercive power, and we enter it not through strength, but through weakness. We could ask ourselves today, are we experiencing the strength of Christ by embracing our weakness, well, what are the values that we hold most dear? Do we long for power and position in our jobs, in our relationships? Or do we long to serve? Do people look at our lives and they see, uh, they see individualism and determ- self-determination and pride? Or do they see dependence upon God and humility. Beyond these broad values, strength and weakness for Paul, very practically, it meant contentment. That's what he says here in verse 12. Uh, not verse 12, verse 10. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship. I think this is a tough one, contentment. We could call it peace when you face trials and obstacles and hardships in your life because you can't fake contentment. Can you? I mean, it's it's really hard to fake it, at least for the people who really know you best. Christmas um, is often a time uh, of particular difficulty for, for people. Brings back maybe some painful memories of broken relationships, maybe the reality of of difficulties at, at work. Whatever that might be, um, or whatever difficulty m- might be on the horizon for you, you can actually embrace it when you are in Christ. Um, more than just recognize it, you can embrace it and you can know real contentment. You can know that Jesus loves you, that he sustains you, that he holds you, that he will provide for you. Beyond uh, simply being content when we face these obstacles and when Paul faced these obstacles, I think for Paul, finding real strength and weakness also meant that he would have faith and hope despite what looked like things that he would never have planned himself. Things didn't go the way that he planned them. Things didn't go the way that he wanted them. He faced a lot of obstacles in his ministry and his life. But despite those things, he still had faith and hope. And that's finding the strength of God in his weaknesses. That is a particularly tough thing for us on the mission field to do. 
to believe that God has a plan and that he's working even when we see difficulties and when we're discouraged. I'll share a brief story with you. In 2007, our missionary team adopted a, uh, not adopted, but brought in a Bible college student whose name was Rotsurin. And she had come to faith through a radical conversion from a Buddhist family and she was studying in the Bible college, and she began to work with our church. And when she graduated, she became a full-time staff member of our church. She's a passionate, young people person, probably the best evangelist that we had on our, in our group, just bold as ever. And she ended up marrying another Bible college student who became a part of our church. And the church community and family was so excited. This young couple, they're both believers. That's rare. You know, they're both marrying believers. That's rare in Thailand. And then they're, we're having a Christian wedding. And last October 2012, they have a baby girl named Peace. Get to baptize the baby, watch this family grow together. Really exciting for our church community. Anyway, last November, about after the baby was born, uh, Rotsarin started complaining of some back pains. And she uh, went to the doctor First, she thought it was just, you know, having delivered this baby, now carrying around this baby, life change. Anyway, she finally, it's does not going away. She finally goes to the doctor. She comes back, and our church community and family is simply rocked with the news that our dear sister Rotsarin has cancer tumors throughout her body. And she's 29 years old at this time. Um, we couldn't believe it couldn't believe it. In fact, the doctors uh, couldn't even identify what kind of cancer it was because it spread so thoroughly throughout her organs. So her body quickly, quickly starts to deteriorate. Earlier in 2013, she goes into the hospital, begins many in and out of the hospital trips. Our whole community really embraces her, praying for her. Many of you guys were following this, praying for her. We thank you for those prayers. Our church family, we thought, you know what? God is going to just miraculously heal her. And it's going to be incredible. And, and all these people are going to come to faith. Because right? that's how it should work, right? That would be how this uh, works out for God's glory and for good. I thought that right up until the end. I really thought that God was going to heal her. And in the end, uh, he didn't. And he took our dear sister to be with him in just this past June. He took a, a mother of a nine-month-old, beautiful baby girl. He took a, a wife of just a new two-year marriage. He took the church's best evangelist in a context where 99% of the people need to hear the gospel. You've got to be kidding, right? I mean, God, what are you doing? This makes no sense. You know how God responds to those prayers in our lives? He says, like he says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So through everything we face in life, no matter how foolish, no matter how weak it seems, we can, as believers in Jesus, hold on to faith and the power and the sovereignty of God. Our God who uses the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the strong. And somehow, through what seems sometimes like utter weakness and foolishness to us, to actually grow his kingdom around the world from Owasso to Bangkok. 
Let me close briefly with this. Paul in this passage, he doesn't simply come to a place where he's acknowledging his weaknesses, actually. He actually goes beyond it to do what he calls boast of his weaknesses. And we see this mini transformation take place in verse 7. He says, he's, in verse 7, he's pleading with the Lord to take these hardships away. And then he comes in verse 8 and 9, God says, no, I won't take them away. And so he says, okay, I can recognize that. I acknowledge my weaknesses. And then he moves even further by the time he gets to the end of verse 9. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. The, the word boast here, it's not like what we sometimes think of in, for boast. It's not like bragging about something. It's not a verbal thing. It's a much broader, deeper word. It means to really, from our hearts, exalt in something, to take pride in something, to love something. And so, in this way, it's not a word that Paul it's not about a word that he speaks or that we would speak. It's a heart attitude. And I would submit to you that this is kind of what the whole Christian life is about. Growing up more and more to know intimately God through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit, the strong one who has saved us such that when we face trials, when we face hardships and weaknesses, when we come to know who we are as weak people, honestly, we don't simply acknowledge them and say, okay, we can be content with this. Actually, we grow more and more in Christ to go beyond that and to embrace those weaknesses because we know that that brings us the sweetness of intimacy with our Lord and Savior, who is true strength. So, brothers and sisters, our lives, when we embrace our weakness, when we learn to glory in our shame, then the power of Christ will rest upon us. More and more, we will look foolish to the world, but we will know true strength. The weakness of Christ made our weakness by the grace of God so that the strength of Christ will be made our strength. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that the incarnation and the death of your son Jesus, those were veils of weakness. They were the way for us to know true, true strength. Father, we thank you for the strong one who you sent. We thank you uh, for the reality of our union with him when we believe. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our hearts to depend, to depend on him, to know ourselves more honestly, and so therefore to know the strength of our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.